Good morning. Would you turn to Psalm 142? Carolyn wanted to buy one of those little um, porcelain houses that you see all over town. And we finally uh, found one. And I was uh, standing in one of those uh, interminable uh, lines waiting to pay for it and looking for something to do. And so I decided to uh, read the blurb on the, on the side of the box. And uh, it says, in part, It is with this spirit in mind that the original Christmas Valley Collection was created a place where all people live in love and harmony throughout the year. This spirit is captured in each fine porcelain piece of our Christmas Valley collection. Christmas Valley will fill your home with love and warm your heart. And I thought, there they go again. (laughs) Madison Avenue and the merchants promising us Christmas. And, uh, of course, they can't come through. No uh, little piece of porcelain is going to fill our hearts and our homes with uh, warmth and love and peace. I thought of a line from T.S. Eliot while I was standing there. April is the cruelest month. And I thought, no, that's not really true. December is the cruelest month. That's... uh, That's the time of the year, I think, when there's more loneliness, more sadness in people's hearts than in any other time. Uh, We can be very lonely in a crowd, even with our family and our loved ones around us. Uh, There is that deep, deep hunger in our hearts for friendship and love, kinship, affection uh, that can never be assuaged by any number of human relationships. I think that's why there's so much uh, depression. So many people are so uh, discouraged and disappointed by this uh, Christmas season. So much loneliness. It always intrigues me that these uh, passages that we uh, seem to select almost at random months ago always fit so well into the season. This... uh, This psalm that I'm about to read has to do with loneliness. I can't think of any more appropriate topic uh, for this time of the year. It's described as a maskeel, which, as I've pointed out before, is a Hebrew term that means a poem that causes understanding. This is uh, these are lines that that enrich our minds, but they also enrich our hearts. They give us insight into things as they really are. And and this particular psalm has to do with loneliness and where it comes from and how to how to assuage it, how to deal with it. I want to read the psalm and then uh, just make a few brief comments on it this morning. I cried aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge 
No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. According to the title, this is another of those poems that was written in the cave. And for myself, I'm convinced it was the cave of Adullam in which this uh, poem was composed. We've mentioned uh, for the last four Sundays, I believe, the uh, historical background of this of these psalms. This event uh, took place, uh, as described in in First Samuel 22, in, a, in one of the most barren parts of uh, of Israel, a place as desolate as uh, the mountains of the moon. No one lives there; it's uninhabited. Saul and his henchmen were chasing David all over that part of Palestine. And he sought refuge in that dreary, uh, dark cave that we've talked about. And it was there as he brooded over his loneliness and the Spirit of God began to teach him. And he gathered up all these ideas and wove them into this wonderful poem. And a prayer. The title says, uh, this is a prayer, Tefillah. Hebrew, just a prayer. Uh, David was a man of prayer. That was his genius. That was his essence. He says in one of his psalms, Psalm 109, I am prayer. Uh, Most of the translations insert uh, the phrase, amen of. But uh, really what David said is, I'm prayer. That was the essential nature of, of his life. He, he had this access to God. We forget what a, an incredible privilege we have, privilege that God has granted to us to make our appeal before the God of the universe, the one whose arm upholds the universe, the one who is all-powerful. That's what prayer is. We can take our, our deepest heartfelt needs to him. And he hears us. Eugene Peterson says, Prayer is the altar on which we receive God's gifts. Prayer is the means by which we get what we want. I like to put it that bluntly because I think we need to understand what prayer is is all about. It's the means by which we get what we want. Prayer is always a request. We can't make demands. We can't make deals with God. And furthermore, we're coming to a friend. You don't make demands of friends. You make requests. Uh, He has the right to answer prayer in his own time and, and in his own way. But prayer is the means by which we get what we want. James says that so much of the conflict in this world is simply the result of, uh, our passions that are at war with our souls. We want something and we want it desperately. and We pursue our own ends uh, ruthlessly and we step all over people and hurt people and hurt ourselves. And James says, you don't have because you don't ask. You don't ask. 
And when you do ask, you ask amiss that you may spend it upon yourself, expend all of God's power to satisfy your own desires. What God wants us to do is just ask. Just call him Father and ask him for something. That's the essential nature of prayer. As I said, that was David's genius. He was a man of prayer. He had that access to God that we have. We have it as well. So in this psalm, uh, David teaches us uh, to pray. He begins by uh, blurting out his, uh, his complaint. Uh, literally, with my voice, I cry aloud. With my voice, I uh, cry to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I, I tell my trouble. The primary meaning of the word that's translated complaint here uh, is uh, meditation, silent reflection. It's the way the word is often used throughout the Old Testament. But where the, the subject of that reflection is painful, it's translated complain or grumble. That's what David is doing. He's griping. He's complaining. He's, he's upset. He's angry. He's, but he's going to the right source. Doesn't do any good to complain to others. We have to go to the the right person to complain. Uh, we buy things from merchants here in town, and they don't work. They malfunction, and so we want to know where's the complaint department. We go to Sears. Where's some place I can complain? I want somebody to hear that I uh, this thing is a lemon. Where's someone that will uh, will set things right? I, I got a magazine in the mail a month and a half ago that I didn't request. I didn't subscribe to it. I don't want it. I never read it. And so I put it back in an envelope and mailed it back to the company that uh, sent it. And I said, I didn't ask for this uh, this magazine. I, I really don't want it. Thank you all the same, but uh, I don't want the subscription. Two weeks later, I got a Dunning letter saying that uh, I needed to pay my subscription. So I wrote him another nice letter, and I said, I really don't want this magazine. Will you please take my name off the list? They sent me another magazine. So I put it in an envelope and sent it back to them. And two days before Christmas, I got a letter stating, stating that they're going to turn this account over to a collection agency. So I get on the phone and I get a computer. I don't want to talk to a computer. I want to talk to a person. Doesn't do any good to complain to a computer. It's the computer that's sending me the letters. <laughs> You know, our, our uh, would-be friends tell us, stop complaining. Don't, don't, don't do that. You're, you know, don't stop crying. You know, just be tough. Now, that's the kind of advice that uh, Job's miserable friends gave to him. Stop your crying. Job said, I have to cry. Life's very unfair. Do you, don't you realize that? Where do you, you've got to complain about life. Well, where do you go? You take your complaints to God. He's the one that hears, he knows, he understands. It's a place, uh, it's open 24 hours a day where we can complain about our, about our lot. Sometimes our complaints, uh, our complaints are inarticulate. We just groan, but God, God hears that groaning as well. Our complaints don't even have to be addressed to God. He's well aware of, of what's going on in our souls. 
Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's okay to groan. It's all right to complain. God hears even when we don't address those complaints to God. We have a whole house full of grandchildren and children and and all of our grandchildren have the flu, and they were crying all last night. And uh, whenever they cried, they didn't always cry out for their mother or father, but uh, their mother or their father got up to uh, see what was wrong. George MacDonald says, What mother refuses to go to her child because he is only crying, not calling her name? So I want you to understand when life is unfair and, and when you feel overlooked and you're in need of emotional nurture and you feel unremembered, uncared for. Nobody cares if you live or die or so it seems. We all have those times. God cares. And he hears. It's all right to complain. We need to take those, uh, those complaints to him, leave them with, uh, with him. David then describes uh, his lonely way, verses uh, 3 through when my spirit grows faint within me it's you who know my way in the path where I walk men have, have hidden a snare for me look to my right where you would expect to find a, a defender, a protector and see no one cares for me I have no refuge no one cares for my, for my soul that is so painful that's so haunting if you can see Yourself in David's circumstances in that terrible cave, no friends, no family, cut off from any emotional nurture, care, no sense of place, terribly homesick, forgotten. The word that's translated path here literally means stretched out, and it refers to a long, weary uh, road. We've all had those times when there seems to be no end to our loneliness, when no one seems to, to move to meet our, our needs. Nothing quite so difficult as a road that seems to go on forever. It's the way it felt to, to David. In the companion psalm, Psalm 143, which I believe was written at, at the same time, David uses the same expression. Verses 3 through 6, the enemy pursues me, crushes me to the ground, makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Something had died inside of David. Not only was he in physical darkness, the terrible darkness of that cave, but there was a a darkness within. My soul grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I spread out my hands to you. My my soul thirsts for you like a parched uh, land. That's a description of what it feels like to be lonely, and, and we've all had that experience. I looked up a definition in, uh, in a dictionary this, this week of loneliness. Webster says that it's that feeling of being deserted, not having others near, sad from one of companionship and sympathy, characterized by sadness, desolation, or feeling of, of emptiness. That's a a bleak uh, description of what is a very common experience for uh, for all of us. 
it's not without reason that loneliness is described as the most desolate language, a desolate word in our language. There's something about that word that just uh, imparts the idea of, of, uh, of a hunger of soul, an ache that cannot be, uh, cannot be healed. We've all gone through those times of, of loneliness. Uh, Webster describes uh, loneliness in part as not having others near, but we all know you can be lonely in a crowd. Some of you this past Christmas season were with your family and friends, but uh, for whatever reason you just felt that you were all, all alone. When I was in the military uh, 30 years ago, it's hard to believe, uh, I was being transferred from the East Coast to Barstow, and I uh, had to lay over in Chicago, and I remember walking down. I was there at Dearborn Station, and I remember getting off the train and walking down the streets of Chicago. There were people all around me, throngs of people, and I never felt so desperately lonely in all my life. I was 1,500 miles away from anybody who knew who I was. And I remember walking down the street, couldn't make eye contact with anyone, and there was that terrible sense of just being a stranger in, in a crowd. I like David. No one cares for my soul. No one cares if uh, I live or die. We've all had those uh, experiences. Loneliness can be the result of the death of a life partner or a close uh, family friend or a separation or, or a, a divorce or a change of location. A woman this morning in the 9 o'clock service commented on the fact that she'd been in one church for 23 years just moved here to Boise within the last week or so and doesn't know anybody. Just wandered into the service this morning. No friends, no one here that she's, uh, she's acquainted with. can be a reflection of our inability to, to make and sustain relationships. Some people come into life with flawed personalities. They're very difficult people. It's hard for them to form friendships. Others have been terribly, tragically wounded in childhood and They've grown up to be very threatening, awkward, difficult people. Their personalities put others off, and they, they find it very hard to make, uh, make friends, particularly with members of the, uh, of the opposite sex. It can be a function of old age. In our mobile society, our families uh, grow up, and they leave the nest as they should, but they leave behind a terrible ache and a terrible, uh, terrible void. Families get busy with their own families and older people find it very difficult to establish new relationships. Irene Burnside in a book entitled Loneliness and Old Age <coughs> describes that feeling as a state of mind in which the fact that there were people in one's life in the past is forgotten and the hope that there may be interpersonal relationships in the future is out of the realm of possibility. They just feel stuck. They've lost the friends of the past. They find it very difficult to make friends. They feel useless, lost, left behind. As one older person put it, I uh, hope that uh, when I die, there will be at least five people who can sit through my funeral without looking at their watches. Furthermore, our world is getting to be an incredibly uh, lonely place. What Jesus predicted has, has come about. Jesus said, because of the wickedness of many, the love of many will grow cold. And, and our world is growing colder with every passing day. 
We walk through the mall, and again, you, you can't make eye contact with anyone. No one cares. It's just a very lonely, lonely place in which, which to live. Loneliness marks the world, but loneliness also marks the children of God. In fact, I think those of us that, uh, that know God have a deeper sense of loneliness, even than those that are outside the faith, because I think that we're homesick for heaven, for home, and for our Father, our Heavenly Father. Everyone feels that to some extent, but those that have tasted the goodness of God have a, have a deeper loneliness, I think, that, that no human relationship can ever satisfy. Our Lord felt that. Uh, he was the perfect man, and yet there was that time in the garden when, uh, as the, the old authorized version put it, the King James Version says, uh, he began to be very heavy. And that word is translated heavy as the word literally means to be away from people. It's also the word from which our word domicile comes, away from home, away from our families. Our Lord began to feel very homesick. And I, I believe that we, as God's children, feel that sense of loss and loneliness to a very profound degree at times. And there's simply no one in this world, no human personality, that can assuage that sense of loss and loneliness. Uh, human friendships come and go. Some are very intense. Some are, are quite profound. But sooner or later, we discover that the most perfect companion can never utterly satisfy our hearts. Our spouses can't as much as they love us and as much as we love them. Our children can't. Our grandchildren can't. Our friends can't. No one can but God. That's because, you see, our human hearts were created for a relationship deeper and more lasting than anything or anyone in this, in this world can satisfy we were born for the love of God. And only that love can satisfy us. That's why I think uh, human friendships are always limited. We're always experiencing loss in those relationships. And I think those losses and limitations are intended to lead us to a larger and more permanent love. The love of our Heavenly Father. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I love that expression in the upper room, which our Lord uh, addressed to his disciples, but which he addresses to us as well. He says, you are my friends. You are my friends. You know, God is a person who can be known with, uh, with great intimacy if we want to know him. See, that's, that's the rub. Do we really want him? If we want him, then he will satisfy those deep, deep longings. In this world, they will never be satisfied fully. It's only when we see him face to face that, that we'll be filled to the full with the love of God. But, but that deep loneliness that we feel now can be in part filled by the, by the love of God and only filled by the love of God. Elizabeth Browning says, Hush, I pray you. What if this friend happens to be God? So that's what David discovered, stumbled across, if I can put it that way. Most of our discoveries are uh, 
truths that we stumble across, the Spirit of God just uh, happened to lead David down this particular road. And as he's spelling out his loneliness and the hunger and the hurt of his heart, he says, you, and Hebrew puts it very graphically, you and you alone know my long, weary way. You and you alone. David came to see that that hunger for a friend, a mate, a companion, a brother, could only be satisfied by God. Thomas Akempis said we should love him and keep him for our friend who, when all go away, will not forsake you nor suffer you to perish at the last. It's that deep eternal love that, that we long for. The interesting thing is that David prayed and God didn't give him any friends. What God did is giving himself. The same thing happens to us. There are times when we're terribly lonely. Our hearts ache for a friend. and We pray, God, give me a friend. And what we get is a denial. And what he's trying to teach us is that he wants to be our friend. He wants to meet that deep need of our heart. George MacDonald said, When with all the loved around thee, still thy heart says, I am lonely. It is well, the truth hath found thee. Rest is with the Father only. That's what MacDonald discovered. That's what David discovered. That's what we need to discover, that that hunger within can only be satisfied by God. And his companionship goes on forever. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Our friends move on or they pass away or they form other friendships, but uh, God never says goodbye. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's that friend that we've been looking for all of our lives. I'd like to read uh, several verses from the Old Testament, which I think as they accumulate begin to make an impact on us. God's promise to Moses, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. It says to Jacob, old rascal, I am with you and will watch over, where, watch over you wherever you go. Jacob went to Bethel and thought he was all alone. And God appeared to him there, and Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. He's with us in those in, in the commonplace, in our bedroom, in our laundry room, in our in our rig, in our schoolroom, in the locker room, wherever we go, he's with us. That uh, promise was repeated to Moses uh, in a new set of circumstances. God said, "I'll be with you," and he says to Joshua, "As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you." God says, do not fear. This is Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. David says in Psalm 23, Even though I have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then the promise is repeated by our Lord. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Do you understand? You know, those are just verses, but that's God's word. He doesn't make promises that he doesn't keep. He says, I'll be with you. Other friends will always let us down, but God will be with us to the end. He'll never leave us 
He'll never forsake us. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am He. I am He who will, who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. So David's words later on in life. You and you alone know my, my weary way. Richard Baxter said, He wants not friends that hath God's love. So David prays. He puts his confidence in God and his ability to satisfy his needs. Verses uh, 5 through 7, I cry to you, O Lord, and I say, You, and you alone are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. You see, he's, he's moved away from his expectation that some friend will come and minister to him, some family member, some, some close uh, relative, some relationship that he's formed in the past. One of his loyal friends that he'd laid his life down for when he was in Saul's court. Perhaps Jonathan would search him out. None of those things happened. David was left all alone in the cave of Adullam. So he turns to the Lord and he says, You and you alone are my refuge, because you and you alone know my, my way. And God becomes his friend. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for friends, because uh, God knows we need human companionship as well. You know, someone to hug, someone to press the flesh, someone, you know, real, honest-to-goodness human body. To be next to. We need that. God created us that way. God said it's not good that we should be alone. It's all right to pray for these things. But uh, we need to give God the right to accomplish his purposes in his own time and in his own way. We pray on our own time and God, God answers on his. That's his prerogative. But it's okay to ask. And it's my experience that when we ask, once we begin to understand how God fills our hearts with his love, then he does begin to draw people to us, just as he did to David. It wasn't long before David's family turned up at the cave of Adullam, the passage that I read back in 1 Samuel 22. And then his 400 mighty men began to show up. But they were people that were, they were desperately needy. They were full of their own troubles. They couldn't minister to David. He, he had to minister to them, you see, but, but it's okay to pray that God will give us friends in his own time. It's all right to do that. Carolyn and I were driving around town with our three-year-old, grand, a four-year-old granddaughter just this last week. She just uh, moved to a new place, moved from Arlington, Washington, down to Belfair, Washington, with her parents. And um, we were asking her how she liked her new house and her new place. And she says, well, she says, Nan, I don't have so many friends. So I butted in like one of Job's miserable friends. And I said, I don't worry, Sarah, you'll make new friends. And she said, I don't think I remember how to make friends. And I was getting ready to open my mouth again. And Nana replied, well, Sarah... The first thing to do is to pray. Ask God to give you a friend. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And I thought, bingo. That's what we have to do. David teaches us to pray. To pray for friends. Let God 
be your friend. Let him satisfy you to the extent that any of us can be satisfied in this in this world. But then ask him for a friend and God will bring in his own time and in his own way people into our orbit, our our realm of experience, the most unlikely sorts of people. But they're not often people that minister to us. As a matter of fact, they're usually people that are so needy that we have to minister to them. But having filled our lives full with God, we don't have to curse them with our demands. We can minister to them. See, that's the oddest paradox of all. We lose ourselves by trying to find ourselves. We're out looking for a friend and we end up being perennially disappointed. When you give yourself away, you, you find yourself. It's, it's the, I've always liked the King James uh, version of, of that proverb. If a, if a man would have friends, he must show himself friendly. You want to have friends and just be a friend, not, not look for friends. When David discovered that God was his friend, he was surrounded by friends. His needy family and a bunch of unrighteous runaways and renegades from Saul's uh, regime, people that were in debt and in distress and discontented, those could, who could do him no good, but he could be their friend. See? So in the meantime, as you pray for God to give you a friend, just give yourself away to the people around you. Make a friend. Uh, call your mother this week if you haven't uh, called her. Go to a retirement home and spend time talking to someone. Don't look at your watch the whole time. Uh, ask a single parent and his or her child to come over for dinner. And just give yourself away to them. Fill yourself full of God. And out, of, out of your innermost being will, will flow rivers, rivers of, of living water. I had the most delightful conversation with a young man this morning. He's here in the congregation. Uh, Batser. Really has no family here. Pretty much alone. Told me that uh, Christmas Eve he dressed up in a in a uh, Santa Claus suit. And he spent the whole night from 6 o'clock in the evening until 8 o'clock the next morning going around to homes, knocking on doors, Delivering gifts to indigent, indigent families, people in need. Sitting down with the little children, talking to them, giving away gifts. Single fellows, they have no family, but he's got families all over town. And I thought, well, that's exactly what we've got to do. You want to find yourself, you've got to give yourself away. Find yourself in God. Let him satisfy you fully with himself. And then give yourself to others. You'll have The whole world is full of your friends if you have that perspective. I want to close with a a poem from uh, Annie Flint Johnson. Supplies uh, what I think is a wonderful summary for this uh, masquille of David. I prayed for friends and then I lost a while all sense of nearness, human and divine. The love I leaned on failed and pierced my heart. The hands I clung to loosed themselves from mine. But while I swayed, weak, trembling, and alone, the everlasting arms upheld my own. I thank thee, Lord, thou wert too wise to heed my feeble prayers and answer as I sought, since these rich gifts thy bounty has bestowed have brought me more 
than I have asked or thought. Giver of good, so answer each request with thine own giving better than my best. Would you stand with me and let's let's pray. And I would hope that this this small psalm would be a real source of comfort to you during these uh, lonely, lonely times. Let's pray. David uh, paints a picture for us and puts us in it. We find ourselves uh, in David's circumstances with his aching heart, his deep home, homesickness and loneliness. So often we're there in the darkness of that, that place. Thank you that you see us even in the dark, that the dark is as light to you. There's no place on the face of this earth where we can go and separate ourselves from you. We would ask that we would open our hearts to you, that uh, we would see our need as a a place in which we can call upon you and, and you will answer us. Give us great and mighty things which we uh, could not otherwise know. So in our loneliness, Lord, fill us with yourself. Fill us with that uh, deep, abiding sense of your presence. Help us to know that we're loved, that you're at our right hand to defend us and protect us, that when we pass through the waters, you're there. When we walk through the fire, you're there. That you will never leave us or forsake us. Unlike our mates that abandon us and our friends that move on to others, you will you'll never betray that friendship. You're loyal to the end. Your loving kindness endures forever. And out of the firm foundation of that stability and, and sense of security that comes from knowing we're deeply loved by the God of the universe, Lord, may we serve others. May we give ourselves away out of that infinite, source of love that you pour into our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.